Hi! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. In this episode, we talk to Murata Tesh of The Athletic about the Winnipeg Jets as we get closer to the trade deadline. Also, this team is struggling right now, so can they figure that out? Also, Philip DeSantos is the head coach of Fowler FC. They just started their training camp. He'll tell us all about it on the podcast. As we turn our attention to the Winnipeg Jets, who last night needed a Herculean effort from Connor Hellebuck, 50 saves in a win in New York against the Rangers. They close things out tomorrow against the Islanders as we get closer to the trade deadline. And we welcome in Murata Tesh of The Athletic, frequent contributor to the CGOB Sports Show. Uh, among the performances you've seen from Connor Hellebuck in your time covering this squad, Murat, where does that one rank up there? I mean, it's got to be on the podium for the season, to be sure. The scary thing in Connor Hellebuck's case is that over the years, he's been asked to put together a few of those. Um, for this year, I, I go back to that Vegas game that Winnipeg lost in overtime early on in the season where they had absolutely no right to even get that point. And Connor Hellebuck, of course, was spectacular in that game. Over the years, though, I saw Travis Yost post this uh, TSN uh, staffer who was looking at goals saved above expectation over their careers. And Connor Hellebuck is in that carry price range of goals saved that he really shouldn't have over the course of his career. He's even beyond that. And this is a special performance in another long line of them. I'm just amazed by what he's been able to do for Winnipeg. Yeah, along the lines of saved above expected, according to uh, Sport Logic, it was the second highest goal save above expected in a single game this year behind Connor Ingram's 47 save shutout last week against Tampa Bay. 4.87 goals saved above expected, according to Sport Logic. So that is a remarkable number. And I think what it does, Murat, from my opinion, is kind of cloaks what's been going wrong for the Winnipeg Jets lately. They struggled in Columbus. They had chances early against New Jersey, and then they fell apart in the end. And they need a giant effort from their goalie to win in New York. They got some opportunistic scoring for sure. But in your view, is it fair to ask what's wrong with the Winnipeg Jets? And if the answer is yes, then what is wrong with the Winnipeg Jets? <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's absolutely fair to ask that question. I don't think we're in a sky is falling sort of scenario for Winnipeg. Yes, they, you know, they were pushed around scoring chance-wise for the last little while here. Um, and yes, Connor Hellebuck had to make 50 saves to get them that win. At the same time, this is not quite the same malaise as what faced them heading into the All-Star break, where they weren't particularly generating. Their puck management was atrocious. Well, there's a little bit of that. Still, the puck management has gone from time to time. And Winnipeg's number one problem is the number of times in a game that it makes its own life more miserable. I would think of Mark Shifley's flyby on the um, on the goal the other night as, as being one example of that. Kyle Connors gave away behind the net when he had ample time against New Jersey. I mean, this is good players, spectacular players making mistakes at key times. Um, but Winnipeg is generating in a way that they weren't heading into the break. And if you look at the chances that they create, you know, you might like those four goals that they scored against New York. You might say that, hey, if they have Connor Hellebuck giving them that puncher's chance, they should be able to outscore their problems a little bit because they're creating a lot of quality offense themselves. The issue, though, is just that self-destruct button that seems so tempting for them to push uh, from time to time as they're looking to break it out or making mistakes in their own zone. 
we've seen the lines get swapped up a bunch of the last couple games. Have they found the solution? Have they found the magic combinations? Because it doesn't seem like they have to me. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I mean, it's a curious thing that Rick Bonus is doing, putting essentially, you know, what you would refer to as a grinder, maybe the generation you and me grew up in, um, alongside the, the skilled guys looking for maybe chemistry or, or maybe just an example of workhorse players. Like, that's the, that's the reason I can imagine a Sacramento Lane playing with top six talent. More so than the fact I, more so than I, them expecting him to finish those sorts of plays. Uh, I think that Rick Bonus realized at some point in the last week or so, and he accused himself of this talking to reporters in New York the other day, that he hasn't been doing, in his words, a good enough job of getting top efforts from Winnipeg's top players. And he was telling the reporters in New York the other day that the only like option that he has left is to start pulling ice time from particular players, including his stars, which we haven't really seen him go to. We've seen him pull Cole Perfetti before his injury late in games. We've seen Nikolai Ehlers come off the ice late in games, but that was strategic, protecting a lead. We haven't seen him bench Kyle Connor after a bad giveaway or Pierre-Luc Dubois after last of physical play or Mark Scheifele after a flyby or a long shift. Those players, I think, were a huge part of the win in terms of what they were able to generate. And maybe that was a bit of a message received from those three players, particularly offensively. I'm still not thinking that the idea of, uh, of putting players like Maynard or Kuhlman or otherwise in the top six is the answer long term. And to that point now, this team needs to add forwards, does it not? <laughs> I think so. I think that's a that's a need prior to Cole Perfetti's injury, and I'm not sure how long Perfetti is going to be out. Um, you could see Rick Bonus running his bench like a coach who wanted forward help, and that's you know you could see even when Winnipeg was winning, protecting those leads, like I mentioned, taking Perfetti off the ice, talking about needing muscle for those breakouts, um, all of those sorts of things. If Perfetti misses any stretch of time, you definitely need it. Um, but I think that yes, they do need a forward. I think that Winnipeg is looking for size. I think they're looking for big names as well, players that can fit into the top six if possible. Pierre Lebrun reported that they have inquired about Timo Meyer in San Jose, who's a player who I've written about thoroughly at The Athletic because I believe that's a legitimate option for Winnipeg, the fast power forward who scored at almost a point per game for the last little while. These are the sorts of big fish that if you could plug and play into the Winnipeg Jets would give them a dimension that I think that they're sorely sorely needing heading into the playoffs. Any is just a, a player that would totally beef up their depth because players that maybe you're playing higher than they should be move down in the lineup. Yeah, definitely. There's a ripple effect of those sorts of things. And if you, if you just look at contending teams, championship teams over the years, teams that go deep, they have second line players that could be first line on other teams. They have teams, pardon me. They have third line players that could be second line players on other teams. Even their fourth liners can be counted on in, in tough situations. And if you have a situation where Winnipeg's able to add a, an enormous fish, like a Timo Meyer type of player, um, then let's say Cole Perfetti returns for the playoffs. He can be spelled off on the third or fourth line and then given second power play minutes. You know, Rick Bonus can have his big, fast, defensively responsible top six all sort of put together there. Blake Wheeler can, you know, actually Blake Wheeler's been very good of late, so it almost seems like that fear isn't there, but he can go from second to third line minutes and all those sorts of things. Because Winnipeg having that power forward with that kind of speed, that's a dimension they don't have right now. And that would give the coach even one more option on what is a very good team. As critical as I'm being, I think it's a very, very good team. And that's just a missing factor, I think, is is that power forward with speed. 
Now, w- reading your article today on The Athletic, you, you point out that the Paul Stastny trade back in 2018 was one that none of us saw coming, right? And this one is different. Timo Meyer is the name that's out there. But at the same time, it would also feel a bit off brand that he would end up here simply because the best trade option just doesn't ever come to Winnipeg, right? It's not a thing that happens. So do we think that the Jets have what it takes to actually make this happen? Like, I don't think they are a lock by any stretch. You know, a front runner, I couldn't even say that. But do I think that it's realistically possible? I absolutely do. And the reasons that I would say that are Winnipeg has ample cap space. Um, Timo Meyer's six million cap hit, not going to scare a lot of teams right now, but his $10 million qualifying offer this summer, which would be the minimum to sign him for one more year, um, that's expensive. Winnipeg may be in a situation, depending on what happens with Pierre-Luc Dubois, to absorb that. He might not just be a one-year player for them. Um, So cap space is there. Prospects are there to a degree. I mean, I don't think Cole Perfetti's on the move, but if you look at Brad Lambert or a Chad Lucius or any one of the left-handed defensemen in the prospect pool, like Ville Hainala, Declan Chisholm, et cetera, Winnipeg does have quality that if you add a first-round pick to that, you can put together a competitive package. I look at the prospect tools of, pools pardon me, of other competing teams, like, say, uh, a New Jersey Devils, for example, or, um, or otherwise. And I, I think that there are some really appealing prospects in those other systems as well. Um, but I think Winnipeg should be able to put together uh, an appealing package for San Jose and will have the cap space to, to make a move like that without needing a third team to broker it like Minnesota had to do for Toronto with Ryan O'Reilly just last week. Is there anyone, if you're Winnipeg, that is off the table in a Timo Meyer trade? I mean, that's the, the million-dollar question. For me, um, you know, I talked about that a little bit in the piece. Cole Perfetti is kind of the line where I draw that. In terms of the top prospects, I'm not sure. Winnipeg has some really excellent prospects. You know, Rutger McGordy is somebody that were so happy to take Chaz Lucius, 16 points in five WHL games when he returned there. Brad Lambert's playing really well in the dub as well. But these aren't the surefire top line. This is not the Kyle Connor, Patrick Liney, Nikolai Ehlers prospect pool of years past. So if Winnipeg genuinely believes that there's any risk Dubois is going to sign somewhere else or there's concern about 2024 when all of Hellebuck, Shifley, Wheeler reach free agency, if they're serious that this is a push year, then I don't think those prospects are off limits by any stretch. Because it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, the West is super duper open this year. And I know Colorado's coming on and they're not even healthy and they're making a push. But Kale McCarr's out for a little bit now in concussion protocol. But why not go for it, right? At some point, you just got to go for it. I think so. I think that's it. I mean, the romantic competitive ideal at the, you know, that underlies all of this is that they're trying to win. And if you're looking around at the landscape facing the Winnipeg Jets, especially with Connor Hellebuck, perhaps the best goaltender of his generation, certainly a perennial Vezina Trophy candidate, um, playing the way that he is right now and the 2024 free agent situation, perhaps Pierre-Luc Dubois isn't a long-term jet, all of that. If you're ever going to do it, it might be this year, especially sizing up that West with Colorado limping with Kale McCart and Gabriel Landeskog hasn't played for them yet as well. You know, you might say that this is as wide open as the West will ever be. And then, hey, if you have to play an Eastern Conference team, that means you made it really, really far. And that's a successful postseason. 
yeah, Vegas, Seattle, L.A., Dallas. The, none of them are are on the level of Boston or, or Carolina. So getting to the final, that's such a huge accomplishment even to get that far. And we're obviously putting the cart before the horse a bit with this, but nonetheless, yeah. it is it is a tantalizing thing because for Jets fans, since 2018, it's kind of been just a string of letdowns. With the series in 2019, they lose to the Blues, and then the bubble doesn't go well, and then they miss the playoffs, and Maurice quits, and this and that. And now there's this hope, there's this chance, and there it's it's been a bit of a frustrating last month and a half for Jets fans because they haven't really found that consistency, but perhaps that's laying the groundwork to say, Chevy, yes, we need to get someone in here that can help the cause, and that could be Timo Meyer. Yeah. I mean, I I start to think about what the alternative might be. And the alternative is saying, okay, we're going to keep the powder dry. We're going to keep all the prospects. We're just going to be one of the teams in the playoffs. Fingers crossed things go really well. And then who knows what happens to all of those quality players we've discussed, those pending free agents. The prospect pool, it's going to take them a little while to impact the team. You know, it's, it's not... The, it's not a case of go all in or have the most brightly lit future you've ever seen. It's sort of go all in or wait and figure out a different way to solve the problem that is 2024 for Winnipeg. And that's, that's not something they can solve today. So I think that um, acquiring a big fish, whether it's Meyer, whether it's um, some of the other players Winnipeg's coveted, Josh Anderson's name came to mind just now. Do I mention him? He's a power forward who Winnipeg has coveted in the past, but isn't on that same level of a Timo Meyer. I just think that it's it's compelling here and now for Winnipeg. And the decision that they have to make, as I wrote today, is really just how much they're willing to pay to to try to seize the year that that's ahead of them. Rat, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and we'll look forward to seeing what happens over the next week and a half. Thank you, Christian. Thanks so much. You look outside your window. I would guess soccer's not top of mind, but for members of Valor FC, today's a big day because it's the start of training camp. And on this big day, we check in with the head coach and GM of Valor FC. That's Philip DeSantos. And Phil, it must be an exciting day to get things going. It's great. Uh, I think it's a long off season, so uh, we're excited about the fact that we start, I think we're the last team in the CPL to start, uh, but we're still, we're good. We're, we're happy. It's good to have the guys in town and we're looking forward to it. So what's the plan for training camp? How do you ramp things up over the course of, of how many weeks and how, how long is training camp? Give us the details. Yeah, we have about seven weeks, seven to eight weeks. It's, it's longer than the norm in, in the world of, of football. So, uh, so we have to be creative. Uh, we have, you know, maybe the next 10 days because the, the off season has been so, so long. We'll have, we'll have 10 days that we, we call it a setup, setup period before we start intensifying and increasing the load. We're fully aware that players that have been out for, for quite a few months now need to ramp up progressively, uh, the spike can't be too big, too fast. In about three weeks, we'll be we'll be heading out west to play a few games um, against CPL rivals uh, in Vancouver, just like we did last year. Um, and then things go fast. From that, we have another trip for uh, for another exhibition game or another game uh, in Calgary. 
and then uh, once we get back from that game, we're, we're, we'll be maybe ten days uh, ten days before the first uh, the first uh, game of the season. So we know by experience that it looks long, but once you you hit the ground and you're training every day, it goes by very fast. How many of the players are here that you signed? Is everybody here? Christian, phenomenal question because this is the one I'm excited to answer. You know, last year I, I repeated myself so much about not having everyone in town for day one. Today, every player that I signed for Valor was present in day one of preseason. So that for me is, uh, you know, in a league that's so tight, there's you need to get those marginal gains and having everyone connected from day one is very important. And how many people is that list? So we have we, right now we're at about we're at 22, so 20 plus two. Um, there's still flexibility, maybe for one or two players. There's still, you know, things that could happen in in the roster build, uh, but we're very close from what will be the 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 look of, of Valor FC for 2023. There's no deadline for signing players, is there? Because I know that in the past, the clubs brought in players as the season has gone along before. There are windows. There are windows. So this is the longest window of registration, especially uh, for internationals. We work with an international transfer window that reopens a little bit, a shorter window in the summer. So we we try and work on those windows. So for us, uh, it was important to to bring or have the roster and, and, and the, the image of the club uh, done in this transfer window and maybe leave a, a space for one or two moves in, in that smaller window, window in the summer. What's the division between, in, in terms of numbers, between the players that were on the team last year and new players? Uh, it's the, the turnaround this year was bigger. I think we have nine returning players. If I'm not mistaken, I'm looking at my sheet now, and uh, it's it's nine returning players from 2022. So it gives you an idea. It's a, a new face. It's 11, at least 11, 12 uh, new, new faces coming in. Um, there's a challenge to that. But I think there's also an opportunity, and uh, we're excited about the profile of the individuals that came in and what we wanted to build here. We're still talking about a team that didn't make uh, the playoffs. So, you know, I spoke about this. There's, there's, uh, there wasn't a lot of turnaround last year. We we stayed a bit more conservative. We, um, I, I had come in late in 2021, so it was. It was important for me to give myself enough time to assess the, 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 the roster that we had at the time. But, you know, this is CPL and there's a lifeline of around two years and then there's going to be a, a longer turnaround uh, or a bigger turnaround. That's normal in, in the game. So in looking at the new players you've brought in, how does this change the style of the team? Or is that something you have to discover over the next seven weeks? No, we were very. We started looking at some of these players in the summer, so we were very. It was very clear in our minds what type of identity we needed to give to the team. I think there was a good foundation. I think the team has been 
uh, played last year with with a good intensity levels. We we made it hard for every team. Every game was uh, I think that we had a, a couple games that weren't weren't good for us, and and uh, they were they weren't. They were games we wanted to forget, but every other game we were in the game, we were competitive. I think that uh, the guys fought every single game, and for us it was important to to keep that side of the team. We wanted to add a little bit more offensively, uh, add a bit of more options in certain areas of the field, bring a little bit more flexibility to the team. Uh, I don't think what you you you're gonna see is. When we recruit, we recruit already with a good idea of who we want to be about and look like as a team. Um, so it makes it easier once the players arrive and we start working. Uh, we work inside that idea. We don't adapt to the players um, because we believe that the players that come in already have the face of what we want the, the team to look like. So uh, we work with principles. Um, more than anything, we work with behaviors. So uh, we try from day one of preseason to make sure that the players understand what the team needs to look like, what what is negotiable, what is not negotiable. Um, and of course, the system is only a structure for, for all the principles to come to life. Do you still think about how the season ended last year where you were in the playoff hunt deep into it, but then your last five matches, you have a draw and four losses and you end up missing by nine points? No, no, we don't think about that. I think it's a waste of time. I think we need to focus on what's ahead. I think we had the chance to look at it. We, uh, We thought about a lot of elements. It's hard to pinpoint one. But uh, but we now we're looking forward and we're looking at what's ahead. I think there's no point in looking at what happened last year and the end of the season. So this year, uh, the one big change in the schedule is that there's no Edmonton team now. It's a Vancouver team. A lot of weekend games, a lot of Sundays and Saturday games, very few uh, weeknight games. It seems a little more spread out as well. Do you like the schedule this year? I do. I do. I think that uh, there's more of home in a way. Um, there's no, you know, these big spells of playing three games at home and then go on the road for three games. I think it's more balanced. Uh, I still think that, you know, it, it, you're going to have a month or two of six matches. If you include the Canadian Championship, even seven, and then you'll be a full month where you might only play four games. So, uh, we still need to manage the, the team and, and understand the high and the low periods. Uh, but I think it's, uh, it's a better schedule and a better calendar than the one we had last year, more balanced. And at the end of the day, the day every team needs to play each other four times. Um, but I like the fact that we're, uh, we don't have as many midweek games and, and that, uh, that we, we play a more balanced home and away schedule. Had Daryl Fordyce on the show a couple of weeks ago, a former captain who's retired from pro football. He's joined your staff, uh, and he talked to us about that, how he wanted to stay in football. What does it mean to you to have him now helping out behind the scenes? Very important, Christian. I think that we had a player that not only understand what the club is all about, but you know his levels of professionalism as a player. Um, you could tell right away in the few 
few weeks that we had of work, of building the team, shaping the team, uh, that he carries that through what I believe will be a very good coaching career. He's someone that was, he was extremely smart and now he prepared himself for this moment and, um, and we're excited uh, for what he could bring in the staff. I think that a lot of, you know, a lot of my staff came from a, a youth structure, uh, progressed into into the professional game, so from player development to the pro game. Um, and I like to have that that added staff or, or this, this uh, ex-player profile uh, freshly out of what a locker room is and what the players think in their minds and this new generation of, of, of athletes and he's been there, he was close to them. So uh, I think it's, uh, it's a great addition for us. Just one last question on training camp before I let you go. What does a, a typical day this week look like for your team? How much of it is exercising? How much of it is just looking through systems? What does a typical day look like at a training camp? So we, we arrived early uh, this morning. We, um, we have already set up the big lines of what training could look like in the previous or the, the, the day before. Um, so when we arrive here, it's really fine-tuning uh, the details of training, making sure everyone is healthy and ready to go. We, uh, we discuss with the medical staff. Uh, we follow up with them. We look at, you know, the players' readiness and, um, and, and what they have, uh, what they have uh, reported as feedback and how they're feeling in the morning. And then there's going to be individual meetings. There's going to be a few videos on um, principles that we want to see in the team and, and that we, we start implementing in, in training. So we want to start going through them with the players, um, small groups to start off with. Then we go on the field, we train, we come back, we have lunch, and then it starts all over again, preparing the next day, uh, making sure that we, we review and we get the feedback from training uh, making sure that we're on top of everything, prepare the next day training and start establishing the, the big lines, talking to our performance team about what uh, the next day needs to look like, what are the loads we want to achieve. So it's, uh, it's, it's a busy day. It's one that never stops because you're in constant dialogue with, with your staff and you're managing situations. There's still little things to clean up, you know, players that just arrived in town and, they also have their personal lives to, um, to, to sort out. So it's a busy week for us. But a fun time nonetheless, right? Absolutely. We're excited. We're uh, energized. We're, I think that we love what we do. So it's, uh, it's a good time of the year for us. Now, uh, it's, uh, how can I say, it's milestones. We got to this one. Now the next one is, uh, you know, playing the first game and looking at the team and seeing how everything comes together, but we're excited about what's uh, lying ahead. Well, Phil, appreciate your time tonight. Have fun with training camp, and we'll check in as you get closer to the start of the regular season. Thank you, Christian. Have a good one. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. 
We're available on iTunes and other places, I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain.